Yeah, so, um, so, Sister Teresa, right? Teresa? Teresa Rose. Um, she's an SBO alumni. She served for two years up in up Minnesota and served some time up there. Um, and then, you, Noel knows, I mean, you were down in Miami, that's where you're from, correct? Mm -hmm. um, and somehow I got involved with, he's a servant of the word, yep. um, which I think he can explain better than what I can. Um, so I'm going to stop speaking now. <laughs> but first, I just want to honor both of you. Um, thank you all for your witness of what it means to live lives of holiness, like all of your lives, for that's your lives, um, and a tangible sign of what that actually looks like. I'm calls to myself, and I imagine everyone here um, on. So, like, so thank you for your witness to that, and for coming in here and sharing a little bit about that um, with us. So, thank you. Sweet guys, this is awesome. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, as Michael said, it's Michael, right? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you're, you're from Texas, but you went to Benedict. And you yeah, yeah. Back to Texas. Maybe he's better than I am. I got the cheat sheet from someone earlier. <laughs> um, my name is Noel Delgadillo. I'm from Miami, Florida, born and raised. Uh, I was part of a Christian community down in Miami. I, uh, uh, how did I get connected? I went to this this event called COA, which you guys might have known it as SNE, but then they stopped doing it in, S in SBO a little while ago. But this is back in the day when Catherine's brother, Andrew Kiwi, was part of it, like when he was just in college, so I'm kind of old. Um, <laughs> the Lord spoke to me, and he changed the course of my life through an SBO event. So really grateful and indebted to you guys for that, to SBO. Um, you know... I'm, I'm, let me say a little bit about Service of the Word, and I'll, then I'll jump into this. Um, I'm part of Service of the Word, which is an ecumenical brotherhood. That means that there's brothers from different Christian traditions. There's Eastern Catholic, Roman Catholic, uh, Protestant from different denominations. I, myself, am Roman Catholic. Um, it's an amazing call, amazing journey. We're going to say some about it here. Uh, I work for University Christian Outreach, which is like a sister outreach to SBO. I live in Grand Rapids. Uh, I brought Sean with me. He's from Grand Rapids. He's on staff there, so um, we're happy to be here. And you can ask me more about all that other stuff afterwards. I'll just jump into what I have prepared for today. People always ask me, uh, why would you be a celibate? Why would you be a servant of the word? Like, why not be a priest? You know, why would, and this is their words, why would you who have so many gifts and talents, you who could have had a promising career in medicine or business, or surely you would have been a good father and husband, could have had a great family, why would you choose to be celibate? Why would you do that? And some people ask me that, like they're in my family, some people ask me that, and they're like devoted Christians, some people ask me that, and they've got no clue who Jesus Christ is. And for those people, I'm like, strap in because you're going to hear something today, you know. Um, you asked the wrong person. Um, but the answer is simply because God is worth it. God is worth it, plain and simple. It doesn't matter how you add it up. If you do a pros and cons list, and you're discerning, and then you like weigh it in the scales, it only comes out one way. 
There's only one answer. And that's total and complete surrender to God. Because the gift that God has given us, what He has done for all of us, so far outweighs anything that this world can offer. So far outweighs anything that we can imagine that we have no other way to respond but to give all of ourselves to Him. People ask me, what is that gift? Well, Paul says in Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has not withheld any spiritual blessing from us, but has generously lavished upon us the riches of His grace. And he says in Romans that while we were His enemies, He loved us and reconciled us to Himself. And he says later in Colossians that He delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. God, our Father, has cleansed us from our sin. And just to remind you, the wages of sin were dead, death. He has filled us with His Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. He has adopted us as His sons and daughters. We're royalty, people. We're royalty. He has done so much for us. He has filled us with the hope of an eternal inheritance. We've received all of this through Christ Jesus. I mean, this is ours. This isn't just for people who are good. This is for those who have given their life over to the Lord. This is ours. This is yours. This is mine. This is what we share. It's because of that that we have a brotherhood and a sisterhood. Through Jesus, we've obtained access to the grace in which we now stand. Through Jesus, we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Through Jesus, we draw in one spirit near to the Father, rejoicing and praising Him for all that He's done for us. This is the exceeding gift of God for us. That He's given us everything. Paul says in Ephesians, and it just sums it up, and you guys probably studied this passage before, but in Ephesians 2, Paul says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the Spirit of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and all of us walked among them. We walked in the passions of our flesh and the desires of our flesh, and like the rest of them, we're by nature children of wrath. Folks, that's not a good place to be. But that's where we were all at. And then he says, but God, because of the great love that he had for us, because of the rich love that he had for us, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. And this has nothing to do with what we've done. This is a free gift of God. He says, by grace you've been saved. God has done so much for us. If you you can can hold on to the truth that Paul is talking about there in Ephesians 2, you will begin to understand why somebody would even consider giving their lives completely to the Lord in return. We were dead, and now we are alive in Christ. God has been so generous with me. Oh, folks, you have no idea. He has given me so much. I've got nothing else but to give my life to Him. My life is a response to the great commandment. What's the great commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. How much? With all of it. I think the series that you guys have started, I don't know if it's today or in the last few weeks, is titled All of My Life for the Rest of My Life. When John emailed me and told me about that, I was like, 
Yes! <laughs> All of my life for the rest of my life. Thank you. I... I wasn't planning to do that, but I don't like to live my life in half measures. I, 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 I ran in college. I was an athlete all my life. I mostly played soccer, but then I switched over to running because it requires less skill. Um, <laughs> if there's runners here, I'm with you. Nobody goes into a race saying, eh, I'm just going to finish this. I mean, if I could go like middle, I just want to have like a good second lap. I want to win. Man, I want to win bad. I want to win so much in running that I gave seven years of my life to it. And I look back and I say, I was a little foolish. I could have been doing a lot of other stuff. But that's a different talk. <laughs> I'll say something about the servants of the Lord. Why have I chosen to live as a celibate in the servants of the Lord? We have uh, what's called the seven pillars. And the seven pillars describe our life. And like, think of the image of a pillar. It's foundational and it also holds up, you know, a life. And the first two pillars really describe what this decision in my life has allowed me to do. It has allowed me to set my life on two specific things. One of them is a person, and the other one is an action. And the first thing is, first pillar is single-hearted devotion to the Lord and love of prayer. Man, I, get, I have the Lord. You guys have the Lord, but I've got nothing else but the Lord. That's what I've chosen. Hmm. Nothing else but the Lord. Psalm 16 says, it's, it's the psalm of the Levite, and the Levitical people were the priestly people. They did not own land. The Lord was their portion. The Lord was their sustenance. They were to live by faith. And it says in that song, You are my treasure, my chosen cop. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, that as a celibate man, man, I'm rich. I got a dime to my name, but I am rich. It is so good to have the Lord as my portion. To be able to pray every day, two hours, two and a half hours, it's built in. I get to study the Word. Some of you guys are thinking, study, that sounds ridiculous. It is amazing to, to spend time with the Word, to discover the riches that God has for us in His Word. The Word became flesh. And we've seen Him in glory. The Word is Jesus Christ. You want to know Jesus? Spend time with Jesus. I get to spend time with Jesus every single day. The other one that really gets me going is the second pillar, which is dedication to spread the word among men and to advance his glory. The proclamation of the gospel. I'm going to share a little bit about this more at the end after Sister Teresa Rose speaks. But I get to devote all of my life, all of my energies, all of my best moments to spreading the word, to sharing the word, like hearing the glory stories, um, Guys starting to pray, guys starting to read the Bible. Um, guys, this is eternal life. This isn't like a good thing to do. This isn't because this was the obvious next step from high school youth group. No, we're in it because there are people who are perishing. We have 
there's men and women out there on the campus who have no connection to the source of life, and they need to hear that. You guys are involved in that mission. You're part of this formation community, and part of the commitment is being on mission. And you're carrying that light out into that darkness, and that is awesome. I get to do that for the rest of my life with all my energies. And that, for me, is worth the call of celibacy, the call to answer, to live as a servant of the Word. I get the Lord, and I get to advance His glory. That has just captured my heart, captured my imagination. I could go on for hours, but we, only, we don't have you for hours. And I want to let Sister Teresa Rose say something, so I'll invite her up here now. It's such a joy to be with you all. Um, basically, I'm going to just share with you my story of how I became a sister, and then just like the joys of religious life, and hopefully some fun stories along the way. Um, but I'm really excited to be with you all because SPO played a huge role in my life, and I know I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't been a missionary with SPO. Um, I had a pretty significant conversion before I started college, um, just really came to know the Lord, and college was a very transformative time for me, but then after college, I served as a missionary for two years at the University of Minnesota. Yeah. Um, <laughs> great place. We call it the U of M. I know here, there's probably you probably don't think of University of Minnesota when you hear U of M, but that's what we call it in Minnesota. So um, I served as a missionary at the U of M, and I loved being a missionary. Like, I got to campus, and like my heart just came so alive. And one of the things that the Lord really promised me before I started, he just made it so clear, like, I'm going before you, and I'm actually preparing the people that I desire for you to meet. And basically, he was just like, you just have to, like, enter into what I've prepared for you and to receive the gift, really. Um, and that's 100% what I experienced. Like, I got there, and it was just so clear. There was, like, specific women that the Lord put in my life, and there was this one girl I met like the first week of school and I kept running into her on campus and I was like you don't just run into people like when there's 60,000 students at school like I just kept running into her and she ended up becoming part of my small group and just these different women that it was just so clear like the Lord had given me these relationships I got to live with Lauren which was a huge gift um, but I just I loved being a missionary so much and what was happening in my heart is that I number one I was just becoming so much more aware of this reality that like the Lord desires these people so deeply. Like, he desires souls so deeply. And really, like, I, I just saw, like, I get to be a part of this. Like, um, it was just such an incredible gift. But I also was experiencing, like, like I want to give everything for this. Um, I remember one night I was laying in my bed. We lived in Dinky Town, which is, like, the party city of the U of M. Um, I'm laying in my bed, and <laughs> it's like when people play music there, it kind of sounded like they were, like, in our living room. Like, it was so loud, and, you know, there's people screaming, and it's just, like, crazy, and I was just laying in my bed one night, and, I mean, this happened, like, every, every night that it was like that, but one particular night, I just remember laying there, and I was just, like, my heart was, like, so struck, I was like, Jesus, like, these people don't know you, and, like, I was actually so deeply, like, burdened by that, of, like, these people have no idea that they were created for you. And they're living their lives for the things of these, this world, and they're never going to be happy like, if they keep living this way. And because I had had such a significant conversion, I had been really into the party scene in high school, I knew that actually that experience was so unfulfilling, and I just knew, like, 
Jesus changes everything. Like, and I just like longed, like I just want these people to know you so badly, Lord. And I actually had this image in my room of divine mercy. I remember looking up at it, and I just looked at Jesus' heart on fire. And I was like, oh. And what the Lord was really doing in my heart was really just showing me, like, I'm actually giving you a share in my thirst for these people. Like, I'm giving you a share in how deeply I long for them. Um, and again, like, as I was kind of living my life as a missionary, I just started to become a lot more aware of this desire to give everything for the Lord. And this image would come up sometimes in my prayer. Um, so when sisters take their final vows and when priests um, become ordained, they lay prostrate. And it's meant to be this image of, like, a complete gift of self. And that image was coming up in my mind. And I was like, yeah, like, I desire that so much. But then I would think about being a sister, and I was like, no, 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 no. Like, no way. Like, I want to get married. I want to have kids. Like, that's what God wants for me because that's what I desire. And so I kind of, like, pushed it away. But it was, like, it was really there. Like, it was really much in my heart. But I also thought, like, well, everybody wants to give everything to Jesus. Like, I didn't necessarily recognize that there was something in me that was, like, more than, like, what's normal. Um, so I kind of pushed it away, and then your first year as a missionary, you uh, are supposed to go on a dating fest, and my dream was that there would be a guy that would, like, fall in love with me, and then, you know, I couldn't date him because it was my first year as a missionary, but he would wait for me, and then after my first year, we would start dating, and then we would be married, and awesome. So, um, so, so they did profess their love to me in my first year as a missionary, and I was like, this is awesome, but, like, I can't date him right now because I'm on a dating fest. So really, I just spent the year like getting to know him as a friend. He was a grad student there. Um, I was really involved in our formation program and also part of the community there. And I was like, this is awesome. This is like totally the kind of guy I would want to marry. Um, but the end of my year came and we started dating. And I actually was like so restless. Um, and yeah, I thought this should be perfect. Like, this is everything I want. But I was so restless. And there was something in my heart that I just recognized, like, I actually like, don't want to give my heart to this man because I feel like it already belongs to the Lord. Um, and I think that's really the key to a celibate vocation is, like, who has God created your heart for? Um, because naturally, we all desire marriage, you know, or it's a natural, like, what God has created us for. We naturally desire to be married, to have children. Um, so that's normal. But God actually gives um, certain people supernatural grace for celibacy. And so that doesn't mean that attractions go away. It doesn't mean that your desires for family life and to be married go away. But it actually means that God has put a supernatural grace in your heart that desires him alone. And he actually wants to fulfill those desires for marriage and family in, in an even deeper way than, than having like a natural uh, marriage or family. So as I was kind of realizing in this relationship that uh, I was restless and that I desired the Lord in a particular way that wasn't just like, like I actually wanted to like him to be everything for me. Um, I ended up breaking up with my boyfriend and I decided to take a time to seriously discern my vocation. And, you know, for a long time I was like, I'm open, I'm open to whatever God wants. But really, I think at that point in my life, when I was when I really became open to whatever God wanted. Um, and it was really beautiful because it was around that time that I met the Handmaids of the Heart of Jesus, which is the community that I'm a part of. And honestly, I thought that sisters were, like, weird and couldn't get a date and <laughs> mean old lady. You know, I just, like, I didn't see it as, like, an attractive thing. I thought it was kind of like, that's, like, your last option if you don't have anything else going for you. Um, but I met the Handmaids, and I was, like, so attracted to them. I was like, these women are fully alive. They're mothers. Like, they're deeply fulfilled. And I was like, I, I want that. Like, I was just so drawn to them. Um, 
So as I was discerning, it just became more and more clear to me, like, the fears that I had of giving up being married and having kids, they kind of just started to, like, melt away because I realized that, like, God wasn't going to ask me to give up these beautiful things if he didn't want to give me something better. Um, and the truth is, you know, and Noel was speaking to this, is, like, when we give something up, like, something else has to fill that place in our heart. And I would say that's really, like, also the key to celibacy is that when you're giving up all these other things, like, the Lord actually becomes everything for you. And just what a gift that is. Um, it's been the greatest gift of my vocation. But, like, he gets to be everything for me. Um, and there are sacrifices. You know, there's things that are difficult to give up. And um, definitely is like a process. But at the end of the day, I'm so grateful that, like, I belong completely to him. And I would say that's the number one joy of religious life. Um, and there are different, you know, forms of celibacy. But I'm going to speak specifically to religious life because it's what I'm living, it's what I know. Um, but something like particular about religious life is that we take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And really, the heart of religious life is union with God. And it's really beautiful because canon law, which is like the law of the church, the first thing it says about religious life is that they are to have assiduous union with God. I don't totally know what assiduous means, but I think it's like intense, you know? <laughs> but like, that's the purpose of religious life is union with God. Like, that's why God calls people to it. Um, so religious life in particular, there is a certain um, protection from the world, and it's for the sake of union with God. So we are like to like engage in the apostolate and mission and different things, but that actually comes as an overflow of our relationship with the Lord. So for me as a religious sister, like my prayer life is like the heart of what I do, you know, being with the Lord. Um, and it's the greatest joy I could ever ask for. Like it's truly the greatest thing that God could have given me. Um, and just, like, to kind of speak to the goodness of the Lord, like, it's been so beautiful for me to see how much he, like, protects me and defends me and takes care of me, and that he really, like, loves me as a spouse. And I experienced this really beautifully. Um, I got to go on a 30-day silent retreat. It's, we do, like, an Ignatian-style retreat um, before we take our vows. And so you're meeting with the spiritual director every day, and they're giving you different scriptures to meditate on. And you're supposed to, like imagine yourself in the scene, enter into it, and then let the Holy Spirit kind of like take over. And um, it was actually really hard for me to leave SPO. And I loved my family. I love my family. I love my friends so much. I loved the community I was a part of in Minnesota. And it was really hard for me to leave all of that. And for the first couple of years of my religious life, I was kind of like, Jesus, what the heck? Like, I don't want to give these things up. Like I desired so much to live religious life, but there was it was still really hard for me. Um, but I had one of my meditations, I was praying with um, the passion, and in my meditation, I was, like, with Jesus at the cross, and I looked down, and it's, like, my family's there, and Katie and Oscar, Katie's, like, one of my best friends, Oscar's friends with Noel, they're there, and then, like, uh, this guy I dated was there, and they're all saying to me, like, we miss you, like, we want to be with you, come down, and I just knew in my heart, like, okay, I, <laughs> I actually have to choose the Lord, like, I was looking at these people who I love so much, but I was, like, Jesus, I choose you. And then in this meditation, all of these people start coming to the foot of the cross, like tons and tons of people, and they're all just like singing God's praises. And it was such a beautiful experience for me because the Lord was showing me, like, actually, when you're with me, like how much more fruitful I make your life. Because I would love to be with my family and I'd love to be my, with my friends. But he was just showing me, like, actually, when your life is given completely to me, like, look what I can do with it. And the thing I desire more than anything in the whole world is for people to know the Lord and to go to heaven. Like, <laughs> for souls to spend eternity with him. And 
again, yeah, it was just, he was showing me, like, this is what your life is. Like, when you're with me, like, you're actually, like, bringing people to me. And in my meditation, I, like, go down, and it was so beautiful because all these people start coming up to me, and they're like, thank you for your vocation. Thank you for your vocation. And I was just so struck, like, wow, the Lord can actually do so much more than I could ever do. You know, like, but actually the reality of grace is that when we do what God's will is for our lives, like, he's going to make our lives so fruitful. And even if we never, like, meet certain people, you know, there's probably people in my life I'll never meet, but I pray for them. And I know that the, God, that the Lord works, actually, through our lives given to him. He actually gives graces to these people. Um, so it's just a beautiful experience for me. And then I had another really be beautiful experience recently. I actually got to spend time with my friends Katie and Megan, who are my good friends from SPO. And it was just, like, such a great day. We got to spend time together. And as we're talking, I was just kind of sharing with them different things. And... Katie looks at me and she was like, the way you speak about Jesus is how I feel about my husband. She was like, the way that you like rely on him and the way that like he has to provide for you and the way he loves you is like exactly how I feel about Oscar. And it was really beautiful for me just to kind of like hear her say that. You know, it's like actually I am living like a spousal relationship. And it's different than what she's experiencing, but Another thing that was beautiful for me was, like, I got home that night, and I come into the great room, which is, like, where all of our sisters hang out, and they were playing this game, and it was just, like, there's so much joy, and I was like, oh, I love my life, and for the longest time, it had been so hard for me to leave SPO, but it was just this, like, experience of the Lord's faithfulness to me, of, like, okay, you've given up a life that you love, and, like, you don't get to see these people that you love as much, but, like, the joy of the life he's given me now, and just experiencing, like, such a deep gratitude, I was like, I love this. Like, I love the, my sisters so deeply and just the joy that it is to get to live with them and to live religious life. Um, and then that night, we had, like, a special time of adoration before we went to bed. And I was just so struck, like, you're that person for me. Like, you're the one I get to say goodnight to every night. Like, you're the one who gets to, like, take care of me. Um, so I would say that's really the number one gift of celibacy is being completely the Lord's. And it really, if God has given you that grace, it's what's going to make you the happiest, and it's what's going to fulfill you the most deeply. So it's actually nothing to be afraid of. Like, I was so afraid of it at first, but I've just seen that, like, it's, it's so much, like, more than I could have ever asked for or even really imagined. Um, there is, like, <laughs> this is a fun story. So we have some sisters that live up in Duluth, Minnesota, and um, they kind of live in, like, a rough neighborhood, and our mother superior was going for a run one day, and these kids come up to her, and they're like, lady, lady, lady. She's like, hi. Um, and they were like, um, are you God's wife? She's like, yes, I, I am God's wife. And they go, does he live in that house with you? He, he does live in that house with me. <laughs> One of them goes, um, what did you eat for lunch today? And she's like, um, a sandwich and some cucumbers and apple. <gasps> You eat human food? Yeah. Are you a human? I guess that makes sense. If you're married to God, it seems kind of confusing that you're human. Um, but yeah, it's really, like, that's actually the mystery of, of this vocation, actually. That, like, God, who is infinitely perfect, who loves us perfectly, um, would actually call us completely to himself. Um, a call to be deeply, deeply loved by him. Um, the second greatest joy is family life, which is community life. Um, I can't even tell you what a gift it is to get to live with my sisters. I mean, we spend a lot of time together, and you are deeply known and loved, for better or for worse. Like, we know a lot of, about each other. There's one of our sisters who, like, her resting face, she'll kind of just sit like this. <laughs> and, like, so we make fun of her, her for it, you 
normally. And one day she goes, I just want to go one day without being noticed. But like actually the gift that it is to be so deeply known um, by our sisters and to get to live family life. Um, yeah, it's truly a gift. I mean, there's definitely challenges. As you all know, like, there's challenges with family life. It calls, it calls us out of ourselves, you know? It calls us to selflessness. It calls us to choose love. Um, you know, there's times where I go into the bathroom to brush my teeth, and there's, like, seven other sisters in there, and I'm like, I don't want anywhere to put myself on the counter. Like, this is so annoying. <laughs> like, the little things of, you know, community life, but um, as we choose to love one another, and as we choose each other, you really see how deeply the Lord blesses those relationships. Um, and as you all know, community life is a powerful witness. Like, it, people see the difference. You know, people experience it. I know that people have come in contact with this community and they see, like, there's something here. Um, and that's really a huge gift of religious life is that people experience that. Um, as we were working on our convent in Duluth, there was this man who very generously offered to let his construction workers help us with the convent that we were working on. And one of the boys there, like, he was like, I don't know what's happening to me. And the guy who was his boss was like, what do you mean? He's like, I just, they're so joyful. Like, I can't not be joyful when I'm here. Like, they're always smiling. And he's like, I think I'm going to go back to church. And it was just like, actually, he saw that there was something that we were living, and there was a joy that we were living. Uh, and, you know, people are so attracted to that. I know you guys all experience that very much. Um, it's really fun because we get to spend a lot of time with families. And we love to play sports, and in the summer we play, pretty much go out every evening to the park by our house to play sports. And we have like everybody, every every kid in the neighborhood will come to play with us. So we have like the little Baptist boy and his sister, we have like the Lutheran son, or the pastor of the Lutheran church, the son comes, like the super Catholic homeschool family comes. These kids who literally refer to themselves as pagan come. Um, <laughs> there's, this, there's this little boy. Uh, named uh, Isaac, who would like literally come play with us every single day, and he would always bring his little sister Ziva with us. Ziva is like this tall; she's four. And whenever she sees us, she she would go, "Not, not, hi, not, hi, not, hi, not." It was all big hugs. Um, but one day we were playing soccer, and um, she decided to help be goalie. So she like miraculously saves the goal. And we're like, "Oh, Ziva, like awesome job!" And then she's like, "I want to pass it to Bray." And Bray, she referred to Bray, one of when we're, when we're our first year in the convent, you actually don't have your habit yet, so your hair still shows. And one of our sisters who actually went to school here, um, Carrie Schrader, would always wear her hair in a braid, so she always referred to her as Braid. She goes, I want to pass it to Braid. And Mother's like, well, Braid's not on your team. She's like, I want to pass it to Braid. So she passes it to Braid, and then Braid is very athletic and very competitive, and she shoots it and, like, smashes Ziva in the face. And we're like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, okay, first of all, her mom's never going to let her play with us again, but is she, like, going to be okay? Like, does she have a concussion? So we're all just, like, standing there, like, praying, like, Jesus, please. So, like, one of our sisters goes up to her, and she's like, okay, Ziva, you know, talking to her through it. She's like, Ziva, I think we need to run a victory lap. She's like, okay. So then we all start running down the field with her going, Ziva, Ziva, Ziva. And she's like, yeah. She kind of forgot about it. She kind of, like, at one point, she's like, we're like, you're okay. She's like, okay, I'm okay. Um, but it's been really beautiful just to actually see how much, like, community life overflows, you know? Like, when you're living life with one another, the goodness from community life overflows, and you really get to experience that in the relationships that we get to build, one of which being with these wonderful children that we play with. Um, and we also get to spend a lot of time with families, which has been a huge gift, so we'll go over to families' houses for dinner and just get to know them and really, like, live normal life with them, which has been a huge gift. 
And again, like, just the gift of sisterhood has been a huge blessing. I'm really privileged because I get to do a lot with Sister Mary Angela. And it's just been, like, so striking to me how beautifully the Lord loves me through Sister Mary Angela. You know, like, the gift of our friendship and, like, the gift of being vulnerable with one another and being loved in our weaknesses um, has just been such a powerful experience for me of the Lord's love. So you don't give up friendships when you join religious life. Uh, I would say the Lord actually very much, like, deepens them. Um, and also, just to speak to, like, kind of separation from friends and family, I've experienced the Lord blessing my friendships and my relationships with my family immensely. Um, and I feel like the love between my friends and my family has just grown more and more the longer that I've been in the convent. Um, so actually, even though I don't get to see them as often, I think they're better. <laughs> like, I think those relationships have actually become um, just richer and more deep and more beautiful. Um, and then the third thing, third thing I want to talk about um, one of the great joys of religious life is the apostolate, but also spiritual motherhood. Um, so apostolate would be like our mission, those different things that we do. And um, something that's really beautiful about the gift of celibacy is that because I don't have my own family, there's actually a space in my heart where like everybody gets to be my child. Um, and I've experienced this in so many beautiful ways, but like whether it's the kids I see every single day at school, whether it's like some guy I meet at the airport, whether it's the lady at church, it's like there's actually a way that people approach you that they kind of just have this sense of like you're for me, like you're available to me, I can share with you, I can ask you for prayers, I can like trust you. Um, and that's just been an immensely beautiful gift to me. Um, this gift of really being able to say like, I'm here for you. Um, and just like being able to have that space in your heart. And I would say like it's different than what a married person experiences because they have their own family and they have their own spouse. Um, but one of the gifts that the Lord gives in celibacy is that like you have a certain availability to people um, that I've just experienced is a really powerful thing. Um, one of the ways I've very powerfully experienced it this year is I'm teaching 12th grade religion. And I love those kids so much. If they even knew how much I think about them and pray for them, I think they'd be, like, creeped out by me. Um, but I just, like, love them so much. And I've just been so struck by how often I'm just like, Jesus, I just want to, like, lay my life down for these kids. Like, I just want to give everything for them that they would know you. And I've been really struck, too, by the fact that, like, you know, moms get up throughout the middle of the night to take care of their baby. And I don't have to do that, but I have to wake up really early and pray. I don't have to, I choose to. But I wake up really early to pray, and I've just been like so struck by the gift that that is, and that I get to like offer that for my children. And um, I get to offer my rosary that I pray for them every day. And I get to like bring them to the Lord at Mass. And you know, there's a reality of the way that we like interact with people that the Lord wants to bless them through that, but there's this whole other reality of grace, um, what I was talking about before, of how the Lord wants to work in people's hearts. And that's just become very real to me. Um, but yeah, these kids just have totally stolen my heart. This this is the first year that we're teaching at that school. And so they're like kind of just getting used to us and they have a lot of different questions. And they're always asking me about my habit. And one day, one of the boys in the class raises his hand. He's like, sister, I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start. What color is your hair? And he goes, well, I guess you have eyebrows. I was like, yeah, they're the same color. <laughs> but that same boy um, actually lost his brother a year ago in a farming accident. and. He has just, like, really poured out to me the pain of that and, like, how deeply, like, he's just really mad at God and he feels so abandoned and so alone. And the fact that he shares that with me has been, like, a huge privilege. That, like, the Lord actually has allowed me to be with him in his suffering. And I feel it so deeply. Like, when he shares with me, I'm just like, oh, like, my heart hurts so much for him. And last week we had 
our parent-teacher conferences, and his mom came up to me, she was like, sister, thank you so much, because he doesn't like know who to talk to about this, and he doesn't know where to go, and she was like, I'm just so afraid, like, I don't know what's going to happen to him, and I'm so afraid he's going to become bitter, and so she was like, so just, I just want to thank you so much for, like, being there for him, um, and I was just, I was really struck, like, here's this woman who lost her son a year ago in an accident, and now she's, like, so fearful about what's going to happen to her other son, and, like, the Lord has allowed me to be a mother to her, too. Um, not only does he allow me to be a mother to her son, but also to her, and just this, it was just this really beautiful experience for me, and then just being able to bring her to the Lord as well um, was a huge blessing. Um, and then, kind of with that, also, there's just a really a huge gift, actually, being a visible witness. Um, it was funny, we were like walking through the airport today and we were like, we wish we could see people's like thought bubbles because they're like, you get every reaction. Some people are like, other people smile at you sometimes, they're just like confused, like they just don't really know what to think sometimes. Um, but wearing a habit is a huge, huge blessing um, because people know what you're about. You know, there's no hiding it, like literally about the Lord. <laughs> and actually, one of the um, things that canon law again says, religious are, are to do is to foretell the heavenly glory. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> or to foretell the heavenly glory. And that's actually what a habit is meant to do, is to be a reminder to people that like they're not made for this world. Like We're actually made for heaven. We're made for so much more than what's here and now. And so it's really been a huge blessing to get to be that reminder for people. Um, and again, it's like, because people know what you're about, you just get to have so many awesome conversations with people. Like, so many people coming up to you, um, asking for prayers, asking to talk. Um, me and Cecilia Angela had this really awesome experience one time. We were in downtown Minneapolis, and this like very large African-American man just starts talking. He's like, oh, sisters, i got to tell you something. The Lord has given me a gift for making music. And we're like, really? And so he starts singing for us. And we're just like standing in line. There's like hundreds of people in this line. Like we're waiting to get into the social security place, and there's like hundreds of people in this place, this man is just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, but it was like so beautiful, because he just like poured out his life and just shared with us um, the struggles that he's had, and before and before we parted, he looks at us and he was like, sisters, you are reminding me that God is real, and he's awesome, he's like, I haven't smiled this much in years, and it was such a beautiful witness for me of like, the gift actually, like we're meant to be a sense of hope for people and to remind them how deeply they are loved by the Lord. Um, I had a really cute experience too. I was at like this volleyball game for my high schoolers, and we were like winning and then we were losing, so it was like super back and forth. And I was sitting next to this fifth grade girl, and I was like, Brian, we gotta say a prayer because this is a close game. So we say a prayer, we ended up winning. So awesome. And then, like, a week later, I'm in another volleyball game, and this little girl comes like running up to me. She's like, Sister, we gotta say a prayer because we were like majorly losing. And I was just like so struck, like, she wouldn't have come up to me if I was anybody, you know, if I wasn't wearing this habit, like, she wouldn't just come running up to me saying, like, we gotta say a prayer. Um, so just, like, so many different encounters that you get to have with people. It's such a joy. Um, so I just want to end with saying, like, with any vocation, um, there's going to be sacrifices. You know, a vocation is meant to be a gift of self. You know, it's really a place where we're totally given, poured out in love. Um, there's always going to be sacrifices, but I just... <laughs> the sacrifices that I've made like don't even compare to what the Lord has given me in the gift of my vocation. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, like, don't be afraid. <laughs> um, if, if God is calling you to a celibate vocation, it's because that's how he wants you to be deeply loved, and it's how he wants you to love others. 
Um, it's when he's giving you that grace, it's like there's no greater happiness, no greater joy. Um, so I just want to encourage you in that, that um, the Lord like deeply, deeply desires to, to actually bless you through the gift of your vocation. So to not be afraid to ask him um, what that gift is. That joy is contagious. How much time do I got? Five, ten, two? Sorry, I talked for a long time. Okay. No, no, no. It's perfect. Um, yeah, I'm actually tempted to just say, amen, let's just worship. That's amazing. As you're telling some stories, it reminded me of this one story. We had these neighbors. Uh, we moved over. We used to live. These neighbors lived behind us. They had these two little girls, and uh, they would tend to chickens. And uh, I'd work in the sunroom, and every once in a while, they'd climb the back fence. And uh, I, I wouldn't notice, but I just hear this loud knocking, bam, bam, bam. and I look back, and I can't see anybody at the door, there's like windows, but I, I couldn't see anything, I just hear this loud banging, and I walk over, and I open the door, and these two little pixies there holding a, a bread basket, and they're like, brothers, they call brothers, like, we got bread, <laughs> I'm like, okay, and, uh, and uh, the older one is a little bit, you know, spicy, and I, I get the basket, and she goes, she goes, uh, I need the basket back. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. I was like, what do I do with the bread? She's like, eat it. I'm like, she's like, okay. I'm like sending it, I'm like dumb in the bread. She's like, what are you even doing? I'm like, ah. I was like, I became a celibate. I didn't get married. I still have a little girl yelling at me, telling me what to do. I don't, I don't talk much about my running career. It's been 15 years since my last like, competitive race, but I, I talk about it when I talk about uh, celibacy because it actually played a role in me choosing to consider this life. Um, uh, there used to be this really good runner, anybody that runs, it looks like somebody back there was running, when I was talking about running. but anybody that runs you know, in high school or college in the US would know this guy. His name is Steve Prefontaine. Um, he was the best that there had ever been. Um, this guy was like amazing. He was from Oregon. His coach started Nike, uh, Bill Bowerman. Um, he was like an all-star prep runner. He was taking the college storm by scene. He was only 21 years old when he went to the Olympics. And he had this amazing way of running. Never left anything up to chance. He was just this hard-charging front runner, right? And he would just go out from the front and just pound him, just lay on the pace till everybody was just like broken. And he was broken too, but he'd always win. And it had always served him well. And so he wasn't going to change his strategy at the Olympics for the final race. And he made this big move and he went for gold and he tanked against the best in the world. He tanked. He didn't even medal. He came in fourth place. He was devastated, right? He didn't even talk to the media. And people would ask him, Steve, why do you do that? It's like, that's such a risky strategy. It's like foolish. And obviously it backfired at the Olympics. And his response had always like haunted me. And the first time I read it, I was like, it just grabbed me. He says, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. And like, I, I was reading that in the book and I threw it across the room. And I was like, putting my shoes on. I'm like running out the door. I was like... Oh my gosh, this is amazing. To give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. 
I was figuring out my life, and I was like, "What, Lord, what do you want from me, you know? What do you have for me? And I started to ask the question, what if I have the gift? What if I have the gift and I miss it because I'm choosing for something else? Or I'm not giving my best. I'm just choosing to do something good. And I'm not choosing to follow the Lord. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to check, take the boxes and be fine. Many people say, you know, it's celibacy a gift. Yes, it is a gift. You know, you might have the disposition, and it'd be a good disposition if you said something like this. You know, if the Lord called me, I think I would follow. Or if the Lord called me, I hope I would follow. Or if the Lord called me, I would follow. I remember being 15 on a mission trip, and there's two guys who were discussing this very question. And I was like, I didn't know anything when I was 15. I was like eating baby carrots or something while these guys were fighting. And, and one, of them, one of them is like, why wouldn't you be single? Don't you think it's a good thing? He's like, well, I don't know. It's not my call. And so they started like arguing about this. And one guy says, what if the skies parted and God came down and told you, Peter, be a priest. Would you do it? He goes, well, then yeah, of course. He's like, what's the difference? He's like, well, because the flipping skies parted. You know? I was like, hey, he's got a point. <laughs> but that's not how God speaks to us, is it? Here's my challenge to you today. This is serious. Is rather than waiting to see if you have the gift, why not ask the Lord if you have the gift? Or even better yet, this is only for the risky ones. <laughs> why not ask the Lord to give you the gift? And we ask the Lord for so much. Why wouldn't we ask Him for this gift? Is it possible that He can give you this gift? If we believe what we believe about the gospel, why wouldn't we ask the Lord for this gift? It is the case that the Lord wants to redeem mankind and humanity through marriage. That is part of God's call. But so is celibacy. You're not going to live a fulfilling marriage if God doesn't give you His grace for it. Right? So you've got to be asking God for that grace. You've got to be asking God for that gift. Right? Why not ask God for this gift? If you know what's at stake, why not ask Him? You have nothing to lose. If He doesn't give it to you, alright, you're scot-free. <laughs> but if He does give it to you, you will have the pearl of great price. You'll have it all. You will lack nothing. Jonathan and his armor bearer, 1 Samuel 14. Write it down because I'll read part of it, but this, this story has just like always got me going. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. I'll, uh, I'll summarize it and then I'll read it. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, who is not named, are encamped with about five or 600 guys outside this Philistine garrison, okay? And they're supposed to take it. But Jonathan and his armor bearer, particularly Jonathan, was like, dude, let's go up to these guys. They, like, hike up through these ravines, and they're like, the garrison is right over there, up that cliff. Let's climb that cliff, and let's, let's bring the fight to them. And let's see if God is on our, on our side. Let's see if God will give them to us. You know, maybe God is for us, right? 
So that's the scene. Let me read this out to you guys. Hang tight. It's about 15 verses. So one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave of Magron. That's a sweet spot. <laughs> the people who were with them were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. All right, just hang, hang in there with me. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Boses, and the name of the other was Senna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the man, and if we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about twenty men within, as it were, half a furrow's length and an acre of land. And there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and even the raiders trembled, the earthquake, and it became a very great panic. Jonathan was not waiting to receive the orders. Jonathan knew what was up. We were at, a, we're at war. We're in a battle. And they're right over there. And we're going to take the battle to them because it might be that the Lord will work for us in our favor. And we know that if the Lord is for us, that nobody could stand against us. Jonathan had a conquering spirit. And brothers and sisters, the age that we live in you can't sit on the sidelines. And you know that. You've all responded by joining Formation Community, by responding to the Lord. You can't sit on the sidelines. There's people out there that are suffering, that are broken, that are lost. Uh, one of my decisions to be formed as a missionary was actually thinking of Oscar, um, this friend. Oscar was best friends with my younger brother, and there's a whole group of them. They're about seven years younger than I. And I remember the trouble that I had in college. And I thought to myself, I need to get ready because I need to be able to give to them what I didn't have when they get to college. I never got to work with them directly except over the phone and through my prayers. And praise the Lord, he did great things uh, 
in their lives through other people. But I was not going to sit back and let something happen to my brothers and my sisters and my cousins. I have people in my life that their, their life is in the balances right now. And my response to the Lord has given me an opportunity to speak into their lives. And I remember 10 years ago getting in a fight with my uncle um, who was telling me, you're a fool, you're an idiot, you feel some call, you're going to feel something real soon. I'll, you know, and he was just, he was, he, called, he didn't call me names, but he was like, you're, you're a fool for doing this. And he, we were, I was young, we were through like half a case of beer, and we were like talking about this, and, uh, you know, the conversation ended about 2 or 3 a.m., you know, and that was that, and years, you know, went by and just had no more relations. And about two years ago, he said, hey, let's hang out. We were out at the beach. Pulls out some cigars, pulls out a bottle of rum, and I look at him, I was like, you know, I'm not going to get into this right here. And he's like, no, 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 just, just a little drink, you know, okay. Uh, he says, you remember a conversation we had about 10 years ago? I said, which one? He goes, we were at the warehouse when you helped me move the office. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that one. He goes, I remember everything you said to me, and I get it now. I get it. And then he proceeded to he proceeded to tell me about how he had given his life to the Lord. How he had been in church. His uh, girlfriend had been taking him. And the pastor was speaking. And one day the pastor just was sharing the gospel. And he says, somebody in here today who wants to give their life to the Lord. You can come to talk to me afterwards. And my uncle was like, he was just nailing me week after week with all these images. Everything was just like hitting me. And that day he gave that invitation. I came up I gave my life to, to the Lord. And he's like, Noel, I get it. And I'm sorry for the things that I said. And over the last two years, we've been able to share faith. You know, I, I was able to go over to his house uh, the other day, uh, a couple months ago, and just share faith. Earlier this summer, I had a, I'm at a friend's of a friend's house, Memorial Day weekend, um, or Labor Day, I can't remember which one it was, Labor Day. And uh, somebody, oh, I, there's this, this couple, I hadn't seen them in a long time. Uh, and I asked this girl the last time I had seen her, I said, hey, how's your sister? I think the last time I saw you guys, it was your sister's graduation. And she goes, oh, she's asexual. I was like, what? It's like, that means that she like, just has sex with whoever. I was like, what are we talking about here? And she goes, isn't, is that kind of what you are? I was like, she was like, so do you like girls? I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm attracted to women. She goes, okay, but you do this, and she's not religious at all. I said, I gave my life to the Lord, and I'm celibate, which means I'm not getting married, and I don't have any sexual relationships with, you know, with anybody. But yeah, I'm, I'm attracted to women. She goes, so how does that make sense? And so we started having a little conversation. And then she jumps. She's like, you know that story about Elisha and the bears that killed, like, mauled 42 kids? And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I know that story. It's, uh, you know, you can look it up, 42 bears. And she starts asking me all these questions. Why did, why did God send the bear to kill these 42 kids? They're just little boys. And it's a complicated story. But there's a reason, there's a story back there, there's something that God is telling us. 
And I said, and I started explaining, and she's like, Noel, you're not telling me why did God send those 42 kids to get mauled by that bear? I'm like, all right. And started explaining some stuff. And she goes, Noel, my son is going to die before he's 20, and I'm going to die before I'm 45. We have terminal illnesses. And I was abused when I was a kid. Where's your God? Is your God the one that sent these, these bears to kill these 42 kids? Or is your God the one that you say loves us? I said, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Getting to a real point here. And, and I started to share just basic gospel messages. I said, actually, God loves you so much. God loves your son so much. And I started to share. And, you know, her husband was like, He's like an aggressive atheist, and he's on the other side just tripping, all sorts of stuff. I was like, Ashley, why don't you just pay attention to what I'm telling you right now. God loves you, all right? And she says, sorry that I got out of control, but you have given your life completely to this. You believe this, right? You believe this? You believe in this God? I said, yeah, I believe in this God. I believe that he's good. I believe that he loves you. She goes, okay, you're the only one that I know that I can count on to give me straight answers. You're the only one that I know that, that is actually banking on the truth of this stuff. Is it okay if I like call you and talk about stuff? I said, that's great. You know, as long as Carl is cool with that and her husband. That story's to be continued. You know, um, that story's to be continued. Living this life is a sure sign that something's up, that there's something else in this world. Like the witness that you're talking about, people just look at you. We don't wear habits. People would have no idea that I'm a celibate if I didn't tell them. Um, but when people find out, they're like, something is up. There's something more in this world. And brothers and sisters, I just want to leave you with this. Uh, don't be afraid to take the fight to the enemy. Don't be afraid to ask the Lord for the gift. Don't be afraid to take a step in the direction. If it's not for you, the grace won't be present. And you will know. You will have not lost anything. In fact, you will have gained greater trust in God. You will have drawn closer to Him. Your faith will have been strengthened. You will have not lost a day of your life by taking that kind of step. Okay? The light of Christ has come into the world. It shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it. That light is our life. We have that. We have won the victory. Don't be afraid to ask for more of that light. Don't be afraid to ask for the gift of celibacy. It's not for everybody, okay? But don't be afraid to ask for it. Let's take a step in that direction. Amen? Mm -hmm. Amen.